0: Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 720 and I'm your host Richard Jarrett. I'm recording this on Monday the 13th of March and I don't have my regular co-host Jim McDowell with me today but instead we're going to be talking World Superbikes with our friend from Eurosport, Mr Gregory Haynes. Greg, a very warm welcome back to Motopod. How are you my friend? Thank you very much Rich.
1: Good. I was absolutely run down and exhausted last week, to be completely honest with you, after the two flyaways at the start of the season. But Good. I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders again. How are you?
0: Yeah, very well indeed. And it's a a massive pleasure, as always, to have you back on the show. So thank you very much. Now, on which point you were last on the show, it barely seems possible really, but on the 6th of July last year. And I think I'm right in saying that at that point, we were talking about the races in a fair amount of detail, but they were only four rounds in at that point, and there were still eight races to go in the 2022 season. And at that point, the, sort of the balance of power was very much looked to be evenly shared between Toprak, Johnny Ray, and obviously Alvaro Bautista. But sort of following our chat, Bautista basically let rip, didn't he? And it was pretty much, well, not plain sailing, but I mean, nobody really got much of a look in. I don't want to talk about last year too much, but given that we... But as I say, I was surprised to see that we only had got to round four when we did have that chat and Bautista was just pretty much unstoppable thereafter, wouldn't he?
1: I've just been counting my fingers while you were talking there, Rich. It's seven months since we last spoke, is it, on a podcast? That's crazy. Yep. Yeah, Barcelona was the turning point for me last year. Bautista dominated that round, didn't he, and did the treble. And then it really was difficult for everybody else. And I have to say, my prediction for this season was Bautista top-rack, Ray, one, two, three. But at the moment... It's not quite what we expected, is it? Bautista, yes, but there's a bit of a new order.
0: Well, yeah, so as people will know, as listeners will know, we're two rounds into the 2023 season. And, uh, I mean, my view on this is that, if anything, Ducati's position as a whole, by which I mean all of the riders on Ducati's out there, they seem to have strengthened themselves even further, a little bit like what we're seeing in MotoGP based on the testing, so what i thought i'd do rather than focus too much on the minutiae of the races that we've had sort of look at some broad topics and perhaps talk about the manufacturer's perspective because obviously there aren't too many races to talk about but before we do that just to go off on a slight tangent i've always wanted to say on this show what a great job scott smart has done in world superbike and in particular in world super sport as well as anybody that's been watching those races this year will attest now scott left his position over the winter, I think it was. And without breaking confidences or getting into wild speculation, what's the sort of the backstory, Greg, in terms of what happened to Scott and perhaps what he's moving on to do?
1: It has all been kept quite quiet, really, hasn't it? In the sense yeah. that there's been no official confirmation from Scott, as far as I'm aware, or from the FIM. But I think it's fair to say the general feeling in the paddock is that there was some sort of difference of opinion there. I don't know how long that difference of opinion had existed, Rich, if I'm honest. I don't quite know the specifics over. That difference of opinion. But all we know is that they're not working together anymore. But I'll just second what you've said. Scott did a great job, I thought. Popular guy in the paddock. Obviously a very talented guy as a racer and a technical guy in his position there son of Paul Smart of course the legendary racer himself who won the Yamada 200 but what Scott did particularly well I think in the last few years was bringing the costs down getting some of these advanced things off the bikes you know they were splitting throttle bodies and uh, they're not allowed to change the gear ratios anymore they have to be set for the season And ever since certainly I came into World Superbikes in 2015 I've got it all written down there's been a series of technical changes to try and bring Parity across the board. And of course, he's introduced yeah. the balancing regulations. He's introduced next generation supersport, which I think has been brilliant so far. It's in its second season now. Yeah. What I have also heard is that the supersport regulations haven't changed too much for this season because I believe it was all just too late in the day with that change. Ludovic yeah. Rainier is doing the job now. I don't know Ludo that well at present, I must be honest, but I do know he's a former right-hand man of Andrea Dossoli at Yamaha. He seems to be a popular guy in the paddock. From the people I've spoken to in the different teams. I did wonder at first, I have to be honest, knowing he's so close to Yamaha, how were the other manufacturers going to react to that? But it seems like everybody's happy. Okay. If I hear otherwise, I'll let you know on the next time we speak with each other on a podcast. But yeah, it was it was a shock, really. Nobody was expecting Scott Smart not to be doing the job, and it was a shock, a, because he's not doing it anymore, and B, because it was so close to the start of the new season. I know Scott was obviously in Australia and Indonesia. Those of you who watched Indonesia would have seen him on screen chatting with Leon Cameo down on the grid before one of the races. And he's been working with Racelink who do all the um, GPS and things like that on the bikes. I don't know whether Scott will continue to do that as we move into the European season, but let's hope uh, for Scott smart fans he will stay in the paddock. And I think, again, we should just thank him for everything he's done over the last few years because the show we have now, can you know, not always have everybody happy, of course. Whoever's <laughs> winning is going to be pleased. Whoever's not winning won't be pleased. But for us, I think, Rich, as a show, Scott Sparks being a major contributor it's an incredible world championship at the moment in all three categories
0: yeah I mean I'd love to know what the difference of opinion was because I mean Mm. he's done such a good I mean obviously it's not just him I'm sure there's obviously quite a big technical and rules and regulations team that exists you know within the governing body and so on but obviously Scott was front and centre of that and the series all of the series there are in such great health at the moment I know we're going to have a chat about Ducati and some perceived issues there although I think perhaps we might share a slightly different opinion on some of that that's interesting I think it's just good that you know we just mentioned the contribution that Scott made and it'll be interesting to try and hopefully catch up with him at some point and see what he's going to be doing next
1: the only other thing I could suggest and this is totally my opinion so right or wrong or indifferent it's just my opinion but one thing you do sometimes here is there's a lack of communication between Dorna and the FIM and I know that's a question uh, Michael Guy who's the sports editor from MCN as I'm sure most of you will be aware of listening to this did put to George Villegas when he went to the FIM headquarters and interviewed him uh, a month or so ago in Switzerland. And he absolutely said, no, there's no problems at all. I speak with Dorna every day. There's no power struggle. There's no uh, lack of communication between the two parties. But that is something you do here, banded around the paddock sometimes. So whether that's got anything to do with it, I genuinely don't know. I guess we'll find out more as time goes on and that separation is further in the past. But uh, it is a shame, isn't it, for Scott, certainly after all the great work he's done. And again, thank you very much for all the brilliant work he's done to give us the show we've got today.
0: Yeah. Okay. so Superbike 2023, then let's address the elephant in the room straight off the bat, Ducati. (laughs) Um, Now, it's patently obvious that the Ducati is the best bike out there. At the moment, I sort of press ganged you into reading a little blog article that I would put onto the Motopop website because I'm sorry hey, good. do a little bit of written work on the website. So if, if listeners aren't fully aware of that, please go and have a look at that. I was given my opinion on the Ducati sort of Bautista issue. Before I recount what my position is, what is your position on this, Greg, in terms of the calls to hobble Batista, but well Ducati but Bautista I suppose in particular and change the rules on things like combined rider and weight which I think has quite recently been ruled out by the governing body uh, just to sort of bring that one up to date but yeah. it won't stop the calls for action to be taken so where where do you sit on this?
1: Well I made a lurid prediction coming into the season that Bautista might retire at the end of this year especially if he won the championship again for a second year in a row but I'm not sure now because the way he was talking in his interview in Australia it's as though he's going to be back in Philip next year because he says, oh, I'm going to have to wait for a whole other year to be back here again. <laughs> so I think that was my prediction blown out of the water. But I thought it's fun to make a prediction every now and again. But I do think part of that is, as you've just said, those combined minimum weights for riders and bikes are not coming in now. I don't know what your thought was, Rich, but I happen to think they probably should put some sort of combined weight in. Formula One has it. Uh, Moto3, Moto2, Supersport 300 and World Supersport itself all have it. GP does not. And neither does World Superbike. However, the FIM has said, we've already got a great show. Why spoil it? It's a fair point. Why spoil this great show we've got by throwing another variable into the mix? You know, it might result in a, a runaway leader. It would definitely create some controversy. Then again, there already is some controversy with people saying Batista's too light. I just think, to answer your question, the best package on the grid at the moment is Battista and the Aruba Ducati and the Aruba Ducati team. Not Michael Rinaldi, not Petrucci, not Philip Ertel. Nothing against any of them, but they're not as good a package at the moment, at least, as uh, Basani. I should throw in there as well, uh, as Bautista. And it's just a marriage made in heaven, very much like Jonathan Ray and the Kawasaki was a few years ago. Toprak and the Yamaha, perhaps not quite so much a marriage made in heaven, but still an, an awesome package in 2021. But for that utter dominance that we've seen from Bautista so far this year and Jonathan Ray in those dominant times, sometimes it just happens, doesn't it? You get a crew chief, a rider and a bike or... A driver in a car in a team, as we've seen in the Lewis Hamilton years or Senna in a McLaren and Schumacher in a Ferrari or Sebastian Loeb in a Citroen rally car. You know, there's so many examples over the years. Of course, I think another reason we've got such a big leap about Teaster at the moment is because he's not got the same person finishing second as he had in 2019 when Jonathan Ray kept finishing second, didn't he?
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, maybe a two couple of thirds thrown in. That's the biggest problem for everybody else. They're very inconsistent. Kawasaki seems to be in a right mess and the uh, tests coming up soon will be really important for them and pretty much everyone else. I just think it's the best package on the grid, Rich. And I think, to be fair... It would be better off aiding the other manufacturers, as they've already done with super concessions, which is another thing Scott Smart had a big role uh, in, by the way. Yeah. Of course, those super concessions that have been introduced for the manufacturers who struggled last year. I think that's better than penalising those who do well. Remember when they brought in reverse grids and it was primarily aimed at knocking Jonathan Ray back, let's be honest. Yeah. And it wasn't just that. There was all sorts of other regulations technically as well. I think it's better to aid those who are struggling like they did in MotoGP with, uh, with testing. And, you know, in the past, we've seen softer tyres given to some of the open teams and things like that. Yeah. I'd rather see that. Formula One as well. If you remember in 2003, some of the teams had the choice, well, all the teams had the choice to either have more testing off the race weekends or have your test driver driving on the race weekends. And Renault was one of the teams who did that, if you remember, with Alan McNish. And sure enough. Renault came really strong that year and they were getting pole positions. Fernando Alonso won for the first time in Hungary. So I'd rather see that. I'd rather see those who are struggling aided than penalising those who are doing well. Otherwise, the manufacturers, Ducati, in this case, will say, well, why should we keep throwing millions of euros at it? If we're going to just be pegged back, if we keep winning, it doesn't make sense, does it? So, yeah, yeah, help those who are struggling. Don't penalise those who are doing well.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I I mean, funny enough, when I sort of sat down to write the little bit on the blog, it's funny how writing things down and actually sitting quietly and just thinking it through and putting it down on a piece of paper or typing it out kind of helps you to kind of crystallise your thoughts on things and actually get to the nub of the issue, which is that. Just very simply, Bautista is a top-level motorcycle rider.
1: Yeah. He was giving Valentino Rossi a run for his money, wasn't he, at some point? So I remember yeah. in 14, I remember that particularly well because I was commentating on it. But Rossi and the Yamaha actually got second in the championship that year. But I remember, uh, 13, actually, it was. Bautista on the Grassini Honda. Yeah, it was 13. I remember covering it in the office for Dorna in Barcelona. Bautista on the Grasini Honda and Rossi were always together in the races. It's, you know, this is a man who's pushed Marc Marquez at times. He's pushed Scott Redding. He's pushed Rossi. He's a top-class Grand Prix motorcycle racer. So is it any wonder? Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, they didn't hand out 125 CC World Championships for free. Exactly. So I think, you know, for me, just having sat down and thought about it, I just think he is at the moment, he's just really showing his absolute talent. Yeah, he's on a bike that has some advantage. But as you said, Greg, the other riders on the same bike aren't extracting the same things from it that he is extracting.
1: His training as well, Rich, he's got a really intense training programme, which Michael Rinaldi, as as you will know, I'm sure, is also following this year. And sure enough, Rinaldi's doing a hell of a lot better than he did last year when yeah. he didn't win a race. He's been a bit unlucky actually so far this season. I guess we might come to him after. Somebody from Ducati, I may have even said this when we last did a podcast, somebody from Ducati put the knife in a bit with Scott Redding when I had a chat with them last year and said, Scott puts all his weight in the wrong places. He puts it on his legs by doing loads of cycling. He said, you want your core strength. Here's me talking as though I know anything about (laughs) physical strength. But yeah, that's what somebody said. And obviously, there's no love lost between Reading and Ducati, let's be clear. But clearly, is doing it all right. I and mean, he's in a great headspace. He's really happy. He's married. He's got two daughters at home. He's just in a good place, isn't he? And he's doing a fantastic job and getting the most out of what he's got underneath him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for the record, I suppose on balance, I would like a combined rider. Yeah, me too. Bike and weight limit. Not one that kind of favours the lightest or the heaviest, but somewhere in the middle and then it kind of negates it to some extent but what yeah. i'm absolutely not in favor of is as you said a minute ago measures that individually penalize people because no. they're doing well like ballast way or that ridiculous reverse grids thing which didn't work anyway because ray just drove through everybody anyway or rode through mm. everybody.
1: It, it would work better now because the level of everyone else is a lot higher now it's a lot closer but yeah back then it just in fact it made the whole thing look ridiculous didn't it really
0: yeah oh it was it was shocking my only kind of no doubt soon to be shot down in flame's idea that i came up with in my mind was perhaps you could do something with tyre allocation in terms of limiting the softest rubbers or the softer construction tyres let's say if that was favouring the lighter riders that they could run and make those sorts of tyres last a bit longer maybe take a few out of the allocation again it's the same thing isn't it it's still trying to hobble somebody uh, and give other people an advantage so it's tricky
1: they did take a lot of tyres off the allocation last year the number of individual tyres available but i don't think that's helped a lot of the riders the more experienced riders will deal with that better won't they you can't just throw tires at it all the time through practice sure enough indonesia last time out batista was really covered wasn't he? And he used the harder tire in the short race which is completely against the usual scheme of things but it worked brilliantly of course he ended up crashing out of that race but the tactic worked brilliantly in the sense that he was able to save a softer tire the x for the longer race. I think one thing they could do, and that is a good point you make with the tyres, is don't bring so many different tyres, front and rear. I remember Misano last year, there was about four different rears and three fronts. Now, I, my math isn't good enough, but with four different rears and three fronts, imagine all the different combinations there. Yeah. And how confusing is that for everybody with their bike setup? However... Pirelli is a championship sponsor as well as the uh, the tyre supplier and they're trying to sell tyres and they're trying to promote their product for track days and and the roads. So, you know, you've got to have a balance somewhere. But you have to think it would be simple if everybody just had the same tyre. As long as it's safe, but there'd be a, a less of a variable then. But there you go.
0: Okay, so, yeah, we just mentioned a minute ago, Michael Ruben-Rinaldi having a better looking start to the season, although had a bit of a strange final race, was it, I think, last yeah. time out. Clearly he's on the best bike team package i think we can probably reasonably well say that if he doesn't start to win a few races this year what does the rumor mill suggest greg i mean there have been these sort of persistent talks in the past few years about johnny ray getting onto a ducati do you see some potential that that could happen given where kawasaki are at
1: good question there have been talks between ray and ducati definitely at least twice over the last five or six years including before his last contract with Simon kawasaki realistically i can't see jonathan ray going anywhere apart from kawasaki at this point just because of the fact you've got Batista at jacques if he wasn't there maybe they'd have him But i just don't think i think at the age jonathan's at now i can't see him moving he's he's an ambassador for kawasaki's on good money yes he'll be frustrated of course he's frustrated we believe there's a complete new bike coming next year 24 and let's be honest they need it don't they A lot of it is just bartering as well. You know, Chuck Axeland, who's Jonathan Ray's manager, is obviously a very experienced man. Who wouldn't be interested in Jonathan Ray? Who wouldn't talk to Jonathan Ray? But at the same time, it's good to have a few Ducati rumors out there to (laughs) push his money up and get a better Karasaki deal. It's it's clever stuff. Who wouldn't do that? But I just personally, I can't see him moving anywhere. I mean, where's he going to go? He's not going to go to Honda. He's not going to go to BMW for performance reasons. Yamaha, I guess, could be an option, but that's very much top-racks team. And the same way... Bautista and jakatia very much at one, which only leaves one option. So I think he'll stay where he is. I can't see him moving. But whenever he does hang up the gloves and the helmet and the leathers, he's going to want to go out on a high isn't it they're struggling to be in the top 10 at the moment I never ever thought I'd be saying that but they are in a mess. and the upcoming tests in Aragon next week and then Barcelona at the end of the month are absolutely vital I remember Karasaki had a huge step forward in the 2018 season when they'd be given quite a good run for their money early on that year by Chaz Davis and Marco Malandri on the Ducati if you remember he did a double in Australia Chaz went in Thailand Ducati went through the first four and then all of a sudden we came back after the summer break and their test at Bruneau Kawasaki and boom it was like 2017 all over again dominated the end of the year now I don't think for one second they're going to be dominating this season however they're going to have to do something at these tests I did speak with Michael Laverty the other day Rich to say what's going on what the hell is going on with Kawasaki and I think there's a few factors here I think they've tried to make the bike more front end friendly for better turning yeah. sure enough they're pushing the front hard and they've had a lot of front end crashes pre-season and Alex Layser's had a few in the races already Jonathan as well Uh, one was on oil so that doesn't count but race two in indonesia down he went very dusty offline there as well obviously so we've got to take that into account
0: but very unusual to see ray crashing isn't it i mean he's not a crasher really is he not
1: a crasher it's always a shock to see that come up on the screen or on the timing screen another thing is there mate they've got a lot more downforce apparently they're trying to make this x-tire last across the long races heat is the enemy of kawasaki they really struggle when it's hot i remember that happened in thailand a few years ago as well and Laverty suggested they may have, Michael that is, may have, uh, or still are, putting too much downforce perhaps through the tyres, which is why they're eating up the tyres. Those on-board shots in Australia, round the stoner corner at Turn 3, you could see Ray was all, I'm not going to say half-throttle, but the ground he was losing in the middle of that corner was yeah. unbelievable. And even Jonathan said that. Uh, he described his uh, Indonesia weekend as a, a four-letter word beginning with S. He said, I can't <laughs> even remember struggling this badly, with Honda. They're in really a mess. However, I do feel they've had to go radical. They're going to have to take a couple of steps backwards to start going forwards because otherwise, we've already seen the last few years, they're going back, 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 back. That bike's been developed around one rider, Jonathan Rain, the same way the Honda Motor GP was with Mark Marcus. And if that rider gets hurt, you've got a big problem as Honda did. Or if you do start struggling and the other start catching and it's built around one rider, there's only so long that great legend of a rider can mask. The performance of an ordinary motorcycle isn't there and yeah. that's the situation we've got that is at best at the moment the third best bike on the grid let's see if they struggle less at Assen with better conditions for them cooler conditions but better for them and more to the point what are they going to do in those tests really really important two tests coming up before we get to uh, the European season
0: yeah we have sort of straight on to talking about Kawasaki but uh, I think in the Indonesia round, I think the, the indomitable James toseland Esquire, I think he kind of picked up on the fact that Perhaps they've shortened the wheelbase a bit on that Kawasaki to help the turn yes, as well. You did say that it does kind of give the impression of being a bit hard to manage and a bit unstable, doesn't it? That bike, and if they're struggling to get the aero yeah. as part of that overall uh, equation, let's say perhaps that's yeah. just making a bike that's very hard to get set right.
1: Yeah, I think they've had because they've gone so radical from what James has said and Michael Averty said they're kind of having to learn it like before they knew we got ABC and if we change D that'll affect B. So then we're gonna have to dial that in there at the moment. They kind of don't know. So, yeah, they're they're really scratching their heads, aren't they? They'll get there. You know, it's a great team with great riders. They will get there. But at the moment, it's getting desperate. And I think then you're probably seeing even more mistakes from the riders because the frustration's creeping in and they've just been caught up. They don't know where the warning signs are. And actually, you asked me about Michael Rinaldi. He's made a big step forward, I think. However, now he seems to be cracking whenever the pressure's on, doesn't he?
0: Well, that was going to be my next question. Is he going to get in time that bit between the ears that is so important and so overlooked in bike racing? Clearly, the guy is fast. I mean, he wouldn't be in that team if he wasn't, but he does seem to lose it on a Sunday, doesn't he?
1: He does, doesn't he? Unfortunately, he normally comes good in race two on a Sunday, funnily enough, at the end of the weekend when he's got a lot of data underneath him. If you look back over the last couple of years, so often his best result of the weekend has been in the last race which is not always the case with everybody else. Some of them start strongly and then lose ground over the weekend. He comes strong at the end of the weekend. But yeah, I mean, he sort of panicked at the first corner in um, Mandalika, hit the back of Masani, As JT pointed out in the commentary, he sort of wiped himself out to avoid taking Bautista out. And then the last lap of race two, he had second place. Batista had gone through. Yes, he had problems with grip on the front, but that was the second. He had that for the taking. Top rat was coming in back and Rinaldi just sails off, doesn't he, at turn 10? Yeah. And Vierge went through as well. So, yeah, now I think he's got his physical preparation sorted and he is much mentally stronger. But maybe it comes down to that question of adaptation. All the greats adapt, don't they, to different bikes, different circuits. An ever-changing landscape of conditions and pressures around you. And he's not quite there yet, is he? And of course, the pressure's building again. Because Axel Bassani is ahead of Rinaldi in the championship. And he won't want that. He will Mm. not want that.
0: Without wanting to ask two sort of spiky questions, really, because obviously I appreciate that you work with these people in the pit lane, so you have to maintain good relations. Uh, But my co-host Jim McDowell and I often talk about the Ducati Mojo GP team as being famously quite tricky in the way, or not great, perhaps is a better way, of how they manage the team rider relationships there. mm. And when things start to go not quite right, things tend to go wrong or go south fairly quickly. We saw this with Scott Redding and Ducati, didn't we? Where it was all great, great, great. And then suddenly it was terrible. So I just wonder how much of an arm around the shoulder Ronaldi gets within the World Superbike Ducati team and whether perhaps they're missing something there that could just help him get that last little bit right.
1: Well, without sounding too cynical, he is managed on a personal level by Serafino Fotti, who's also the team principals. That probably doesn't do him any harm. And he's Aruba's baby. Aruba, obviously, are an internet, cloud, domain sort of company in Italy who sponsor the team, of course. And he, he has them as a personal sponsor and has them for many years. So that's got to help as well with the backing there and the two of them going hand in hand. But I think you're right. I mean, Jorge Lorenzo, Rossi, Stoner, Scott Redding. James Tozen was told on the eve of his title winning race, if you don't win this rate, uh, this title, you're out. To this day, I noticed myself when I was in Borgo Panigale when I got lost coming out of Bologna Airport last year. It's spectacular. I don't know if you've seen it. They've got all the pictures of the champions on the side of the factory. And James's picture's not there. He was a world champion for Ducati World Superbikes. And his picture is not on the wall up there with all the other legends. Wow! So that's quite telling, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, to be told the night before, if you don't win this, you're out. Think, A, what that does for the rider, and B, imagine the mood the following year. You'll have to ask James if you ever have him on the podcast, Rich. It makes you wonder how what that does for the relationship going into the next season. But yeah, yeah definitely. And remember Bao Bao, Claudio Domenicale called Battista Bao Bao, which sounds quite funny to us, but apparently it's quite disrespectful in Italian because I think we've talked about this before, but apparently, yeah, yeah Bao <laughs> is the Italian woof, as in... <laughs> The dog sound. So, uh, but apparently it's quite rude in Italian, but obviously all that's in the past now. But they yeah. do, it's like, it's almost like once there's a strain, that's it. It's really strange. It's quite an exception, actually, that about Easter. Has gone back to Ducati. I think both parties realised we've been silly here. We've thrown away some great chances. Let's just get back together. And sure enough, they won the championship.
0: Well, they might have learned their lesson after the um, Jorge Lorenzo debacle in MotoGP because the guy yeah. wins races on the weekend that they announced he's not going to be there anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm don't get me wrong. I'm no Jorge Lorenzo sort of mega fan. I'm, I'm simply not. But mm. he was telling Ducati for a while that they needed to change some stuff on the bike to suit his riding style, and they refused. And as soon as they did, he won. By which time they sacked him.
1: They're stubborn. There's no doubt about. Have to, and there's no problem saying that here on the podcast they are stubborn because I, and that's not me saying it how would i know i've never worked for them i'm not a rider but I've heard that from so many people. They're very set in that. It. It's like, well, it's our way or the highway. If you don't like it, there's a queue of riders outside who uh, who will take your ride. But it's a bit, uh, you've got to think it's a bit counterproductive, isn't it, to have that attitude? Maybe they've changed that now, though, because sure enough, they got back together with Batista and it's all going swimmingly
0: so yeah. far. I'm no clinical psychologist, so I'm way off mm. my pay grade here. But I just wonder what you've just told us about Rinaldi and his relationship, you know, in terms of management and that sponsorship link. Whether yeah. that's almost perhaps just amps the pressure up on him even more more maybe there's perhaps a reluctance to sort of I don't know, just to help him get that last little bit. Because I think just psychologically, you can see that the pressure gets Jim at the moment. Maybe that's because yeah. he's young, but he's been around a while, but he's not got years and years and years to get this right, has he?
1: It's interesting you sometimes just get riders or drivers who seem to go better in a midfield car or on a midfield bike than at the front, don't you? I always remember thinking this about Giancarlo Fissi, Keller in F one. Yeah. You know, he did some great stuff in the Benetton and the Salva, Jordan. He was up there and then when the pressure was really on when he was Alonso's teammate at Reno and expected to be winning. Yeah. It didn't quite happen. And it just seems a little bit like that at the moment with his fellow Italian Rinaldi. Let's hope for his sake he will make it. I guess also with Batista winning the championship in so many races, I'm not saying the bike's made for Batista because Rinaldi's been there just as long, but it does feel, you know, naturally I think the team will work towards the top rider. Uh, they're a great duo though, and it works. I think as long as they're winning, Rich, the Riders' Championship... The manufacturers and the teams, Rinaldi's doing the job he's being paid to do, isn't it? They don't, I'm sure they'd love to have them one and two in the riders, but it's not the end of the world. He's still amassing enough points to win that team's title. And in many ways, you could argue it's perfect because he's not pressuring the top rider. We haven't got a massive rivalry between teammates, which can be really bad, as we know. So, you know, maybe they've got the winning formula. Maybe they've actually got it right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Yamaha. So, Obviously Top Rack took the title on your One in twenty twenty one, a little bit sort of narrowly beat Jonathan Ray. It was not a, you know, sort of whitewash kind of situation. Yeah. And at that point, it looked kind of like the Yamaha after years and years of toil had kind of come good and that they might almost settle in for a bit of a period of domination. But it hasn't worked out like that, has it? And despite the brilliance of Toprak, Razgatlioglu, So do you see some parallels between Toprak in World Superbike and say Quattararo in MotoGP insofar as them being stellar talents who are just flattering a bike that is getting a bit past its sell-by date? And it World Superbike, do Yamaha need to be looking at a completely different concept of bike, do you think? Has has the R1 kind of got to the end of its development path, I suppose, is the question.
1: It's a big question as well. Big question. I suppose (laughs) the more time goes on, the closer you're getting towards the end of the development path. I mean, I think they're still competitive at the moment. I think it's fair to say last year... You make your own luck, obviously. But Top Rat was quite unlucky. He lost a lot of points through things that were not his fault. They had their struggles at the beginning. He did admit the pressure was on with all the MotoGP talk and having the number one on the front of the bike. But, you know, he got wiped out by Jonathan Ray at Assen. He had a problem at Mizzano. He had the brake problem at Magni Corin, crashed out of the lead. You know, that's a potential... 75 points right there. I can't quite remember the gap now. It's about Bautista at the end. So I think Toprak's 22 season was at least just as good as 21. Right, okay. If not, From in my opinion, I know he didn't win the championship, but he did a good job. This year... But he does seem to be on the back foot, and it's strange. He doesn't go that well at Phillip Island traditionally, even though he did win his first Yamaha race there, didn't he? In 20. But with the field as close as it is now, it's making it more difficult. He's not particularly strong in comparison with some of the others in the long sweeping corners. He's obviously very strong in the brakes, and there's not too much <laughs> of the, that at Phillip Island. So that's one reason. But to be fair, you know, he was doing, he was banking good points in Australia, had a third and a third, and he could well have had another podium, and that would have been job done, I think. And then Alex Lowe's crashed in front of him and took him out not Alex's fault he wasn't tr- well it was Alex's fault but it was unintentional he wasn't yeah. trying to overtake Toprak it just made a mistake and Toprak was in the wrong place one of those yeah and then Indonesia obviously got the sprint race win which was important but the Ducati they've just they've moved up another level haven't they and again yeah. I come back to what I said before those tests coming up are going to be critical what has been interesting is that Locatelli's made a good step forward I think they're where they want to be now with the electronics though we all know it's a bit of a secret and worst kept secret I should say that they were toggling between different electronics packages last year and I think Locatelli even more than Toprak was because Toprak just stuck with the old one. Locatelli was trying to use the new one. Then they went back and, you know, it, they want to progress, but sometimes it doesn't always work to have a new system. Testing so limited, practice time so limited. So do I think it's getting towards the end of its development path? Probably not yet, but I guess, yeah, the longer time goes on, obviously you're going to have to bring a new bike in at some point, but it's going to be interesting. Let's see what happens at Assen. Normally after three or four rounds, we've got a much clearer picture, haven't we? Yeah. I think the that Barcelona's round four, you'd be very surprised if is <laughs> still not leading after that round. But let's see what happens at Aston because it will be cooler. There's every chance it could rain, but we're not going to get the kind of temperatures we had in Australia and certainly not the kind of temperatures we had at Lombok. But I tell you what, if Batista comes out again, let's just say there's a treble at Aston and another one at Barcelona. Then is it too early to say it's one hand on the trophy? No, it probably isn't. That would be very worrying because they all yeah. would have had Lots of different conditions, different tracks. All these tests will be done by then. If that happens at Assen and Barcelona as well, then I think the others really are in trouble. So let's hope for the good of the championship. Nothing against Batista, but let's hope for the goodness championship. That does not happen.
0: Yeah, I'm sure some of the listeners are going to be saying, R1 at the end of its development phase, what are you talking about? Judith? Now, obviously, I'm asking questions like that on purpose. But having said that, that Ducati Panigale, let's be honest about it, it, is kind of like a MotoGP bike that's been homologated for the road. Whereas yes. the Ninja, you know, the R1, they are quite long in the tooth production-based bikes, aren't they? And I always sort of struggled to get this balance right when I'm talking with Jim on the MotoGP side of things. But we are unfortunately seeing at the moment in MotoGP this sort of situation where the Italian brands are running absolute rings around the Japanese brands. And there's obviously something behind that. And I just wonder if we're sort of seeing something similar going on in World Superbike at the moment and a good job you know, for the likes of Kawasaki and Yamaha, perhaps, and Honda, that Aprilia aren't in there as well, or a KTM, perhaps, in World Superbike. I mean, regrettable that they're not, but obviously they've only got so much budget. But, you know, that Ducati is a weapon, and it's hard to see the other bikes beating on pure performance anytime soon, I think.
1: It's obviously a massive team effort, as we know, Rich, but if there's one person to blame, and I use the word blame because that's what the other manufacturers would say, or (laughs) thank, if you are a Ducati, it's got to be Gigi Delinea, because he's the man who's moved the game forward with these F1-esque aerodynamics I do like the sense, actually, that the MotoGP bikes and the Superbikes do look a little bit more different now, because in recent years, to the layman, you wouldn't have a clue what the difference was, would you? You wouldn't know. But at least the GP bikes do have some wings and things on that. so it looks a bit different. I'm not saying I agree with all the wings, <laughs> because it, the racing's not as good, the braking distances are shorter, so it's becoming more like F1, and it's making the bike even more important than it already was, in the sense that if you're not on a good bike, you've got no chance. It's the same as Formula One with the cars, even Mark Marquez who is probably the greatest motorcycle racer ever to have lived, cannot do anything without a Honda at the moment, or certainly couldn't last year. Let's see what happens this year. Yeah. So that's the situation we're in. But things go in cycles, don't they? I mean, look at Formula One. Who would have believed at the start of the hybrid era in 14? That Mercedes would be struggling and Red Bull would be dominating as they are at the moment, as we saw in the recent Bahrain Grand Prix. Yeah. Things go in cycles. We've seen it in BSB. I remember there was lots of talk a few years ago about Ducatis uh, with Reading and Brooks and Bridewell free, uh, finishing one, two, three at Alton Park and other places. Then the next thing you know, you've got McCamsey, Yamaha doing well the next year. They come and go, these things. What's great about motorsport, I think, is that you will never, ever have the same race twice. Mm. You could start the same race at the same time, on the same day, in the same conditions, and something different would happen because yeah. it depends on such detail. And the rider's mindset at that point in time, there's so many things. And okay, at the moment, Ducati, are obviously doing a, a great job, aren't they? And the fact they, like you have already said, the Grand Prix technology goes into the road bike. The superbike has to be homologated in accordance with the road bike. They're doing an incredible job and the others are going to have to join them. And maybe now, it's quite interesting actually, the advantage Kawasaki had in previous years by only being in World Superbike and not in MotoGP, maybe that's become a disadvantage now because yeah. they can't do what Ducati do. So it's quite interesting, isn't it, to see how these things mm. change. And obviously, people overlapping mechanics, riders, there's more interest now in world superbikes. So therefore, people can be paid better. So it's attracting bigger names across the world superbike, like Battista, like Petrucci, uh, and other big names we have come across in recent years. So obviously then you've got better riders on the bikes as well. So there's all these things just merging into one, don't they?
0: Yeah. And again, I did kind of nibble at this a little bit in that blog article that I referenced, which I'm going to keep going on about because I want people to read it. But um, <laughs> it was good. Purely selfish. But I, I think we all kind of tend to look back in seasons, you know, even recent seasons gone by. And certainly when we think about, far away seasons we kind of have this sort of rose-tinted specs problem of thinking that every race you know there was a different winner but it is vanishingly rare to have different race winners all the way through a year you always see i mean you reeled off you know marquez Johnny Ray, Senna, Schumacher. You always have these periods where a team or a rider, straight driver, dominate. It's just the way it is. And then you have a changing of the guard for one reason or another. People retire. uh, They exit the sport for other reasons or a new regulation comes in and somebody gets it right and others get it wrong. So, I mean, what we're seeing with Ducati and Bautista in particular at the minute is not at all rare. It's just a bit frustrating, I suppose. I think the real issue is that it's just so fast in a straight line, that bike, and it looks as if, I mean, I don't think this is true, but it looks as if Bautista is just easily winning races. I mean, you do not easily win a race in World Superbike. That is just not the way the sport works. But he isn't doing many passes on the front end, is he, going down into braking zones? Let's be honest about that aspect of it. But equally... He's getting passes done on the straights where the other Ducatis aren't. So he's obviously doing something as he comes onto the straights in terms of the exactly. way he's riding through the, particularly the fast bends. So, again, you've just come back to the point that he's just doing a better job.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not his fault. He can only ride the bike he's got, but obviously the bike is as good as it is because of his input. He was there before. He's had a whole year back on it last year as well. And like you've just said, if it was all about the bike, they'd be one, two, three, four, five, wouldn't they? Bautista, Rinaldi, Bassani, Petrucci, Ertel, or any other order of those five in every single race. And even in the race in Australia earlier this year, the third of the three races, when there was four Ducatis in the top five, absolutely true there were. However, it is Phillip Island. Also, Alex Lowe's had crashed and taken Toprak out. So it would have actually been two Ducatis in the top seven, which wouldn't have looked as bad for everybody else. You know, it's easy to overlook these things. But if this was drag racing, then I'd be absolutely agreeing with the people who say this isn't fair because he's got a better bike in a straight line. He has. Yes, of course he has. But it's interesting. There's not many people saying, oh, Toprak's got a better bike in the corners or
0: in the braking zones
1: or the braking zones or whatever. The track's not just the straight. But yeah, I agree. Obviously, it's making life very difficult for everybody else. And because the level is so high now in the field, if you do have a grid penalty, as Jonathan Ray had in Indonesia, or you qualify badly or make a bad start, this isn't 2015 or 2016 anymore, where you're going to be back in the top three within a couple of laps. But that's a credit to everyone involved, I think, the manufacturers. And let's just be mindful of the fact that Ducati work very well in the way they look after all of their teams. I remember picking up on this. Quite early in my Superbike days, how you will always see top Ducati engineers in all of the Ducati garages, whether it's uh, Giovanni Kruppi working with Oli Baylis in the Supersport class, or Chaz Davis is helping Niccolo Bouliger in Supersport. They're helping all their customer teams because they know how important it is to share data, help everyone else. And it's really paying off now. Kawasaki, for example, don't do that. Mm. There is absolutely no connection between the Kawasaki factory team and Pedicini. To, they can share data and whatever but completely different budgets completely different setup even the Pachetti team it's not quite the same as the Provec team whereas there's a lot more working together Yamaha do it to be fair but I think Ducati are doing that very very well at the moment and it can't be a coincidence that no, they're doing a similar thing in MotoGP it can't be exactly
0: I mean just look at the way testing finished yesterday in Portimao which we're not going to talk about but I mean that yeah. model is clearly working in both exactly and yeah
1: and it, and it is that model that's a really good word to use because it's the same people it's the same factory you know Look at the launch. They all did it together, didn't they? You had the factory riders for MotoGP and Superbike all together with number ones on both bikes, which is another brilliant PR coup for them as well. Let's see. You know The Hondas are the same. The HRC bike's not far from where I'm talking to you from now. It's outside Barcelona. Can they have a bit more interaction between the Marquez team and the Leon Camia team? I don't know. Let's see. But. At this moment in time, Ducati doing the best job. But God forbid, if something happened to Batista and he got injured, which is a genuine possibility in bike racing, much Mm. more so than in cars, you won't necessarily see Ducati winning the championship this year. So yes, it's looking good, but we've only had six of 36 races. Yes, There's so many points still left up for grabs. I mean, look back at all these other seasons. Look what happened in 2019. Look what happened in 2002. Look what happened in 2009. I mean, there are a lot of examples. And... If to wins the championship, everyone will say, oh, we all knew that was going to happen. Or, you know, who knows what could, what will have happened between now and the end of the season. Anything could happen, as Murray Walker would say. And by the way...
0: It usually does. <laughs>
1: and it usually does. And as we record this on the 13th of March, it is actually two years today since the passing of Murray Walker. So let's just think about the great man as the well. The great man himself.
0: Yeah, much missed, it must be said. Greg, segueing very neatly there and picking up on what you say now... I'm changing my view now. I think the chances of Toprak going over to MotoGP look to be receding pretty quickly for my money. But in terms of the satellite setup, which we just touched on, where do you see Locatelli's long-term future, given that in the GRT squad, who've had a change over the winter, both riders there, Remy Gardner and Domi Agata, both looking pretty good. Colin Agata class rookie is possibly stretching it a little bit, but certainly Remy is. They seem to have a pathway, don't they, Yamaha? Not as strong as Ducati, as we've just been saying, because they've nailed this model, but Yamaha at least seem to be doing something along the same lines in case one of the two riders in the works team goes off somewhere else for one reason or another.
1: Yeah, I still think it's way too early to say if there's a chance of, let's say, Agata or Gardner, or anyone else for that matter, replacing Locatelli. We're only two rounds in, and he's done an incredible job. He was second in the championship until the end of Indonesia, now dropped behind Toprak again. But we have seen, as James Tosen's pointed out on the telly a few times already this year, Toprak following Locatelli in practice sessions and supers polls. He's obviously clicked. They're quite evenly matched, actually, those two. Totally different styles, but you cannot knock the work that Locatelli and his crew, Andrew Pitts, have done so far this season. I think he's done a really good job, and it would be fantastic if he wins a race. And who knows? It could happen, actually. It could happen at Assen next time out, and that would be a popular win, and he deserves it. Let's yeah. not forget what he did in Moto2, uh, and in particular... Super Sport, Motor 2 super competitive, and he did have some good runs there. Yeah. He wasn't a legend of the class or anything like that, but he had some good runs. And Super Sport, he dominated that category like no one's ever done before. I would just say that I think Egiter has done a phenomenal job. Gardner, we've not seen the best of him yet, although he did shine at the end of Indonesia, despite feeling really ill, but he missed a lot yeah. of that round because of illness so he hasn't had a fair crack at the whip yet at all eager to sticking it on the front row and his first ever qualifying at Phillip Island was unbelievable and uh, actually I can let you into a bit of a secret there's a bit of a personal bet between myself and JT a 100 pound bet that Agata will or will not finish on the podium this season okay. <laughs> and I think James is already regretting it not long after he'd gone on air for the qualifying session in Australia because I think he will get a podium and James didn't think he would. I know James would be very very pleased if, if Agata did by the way but he just thought with the way the championship is at the moment it's going to be difficult and yeah. you can see why he would think that. Yeah. But I think he will. I, I think Agata will get a podium at least one before the end of the season I'm not going to say it's going to be easy and I'm not sure if it'll happen too soon
0: but it could happen. It could happen. Well given Given the seeming woes, again, Greg, as you've just said a few times, Philip Island and mandalika they're not really representative of the season as a whole. You certainly can't bank form for the rest of the season on those two rounds. But if Karasaki are going to struggle a bit, and Toprak just seems a bit off colour, doesn't he? I don't know. can't quite put my finger on it. He just seems a bit... It doesn't look like the rider that won the championship. That's all I can say at the moment. Uh, And that hopefully will change as the season gets going a bit more. But you can certainly see the likes of Locatelli, Agata, and a few others, actually. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about Honda in a minute, and they appear to be making some really decent strides at long last, and they really ought to have done it sooner. But Mm. you can see quite a few people visiting the podium, which is something we definitely did not see, really, with any regularity last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've already had seven podium finishes this year we had 10 in the whole of last season <laughs> yeah which is great isn't it we've had both Ducati riders both Kawasaki riders both Yamaha riders and Vieje on the Honda on the podium so far which leaves BMW the only manufacturer to finish uh not finish on the podium yet what a terrible start to the season it's been for them but we'll come to them
0: yeah hold that thought
1: yeah we'll hold that <laughs> thought and we'll come to Honda as well uh, and the super concessions and all the rest of it but no it's been really interesting actually and I Actually, I don't know whether you've seen the unfiltered video that the great uh, Will Hussey, who works on behalf of Dorna, puts together. He does them after each round. And you can often see him on camera sneaking around in the back of the shot on the telly. And he puts together this brilliant unfiltered video of behind-the-scenes stuff. And Batista and the team did say in Parc Fermé, after one of the races earlier this year, it's not always going to be this easy. It's not <laughs> always going to be this easy. Make the most of the points now before things change.
0: And I think it could change. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Okay, we've talked about Kawasaki quite a bit but let's just quickly go over them again it, I mean it's yeah. hard to recall a worse start to a season I mean I was really having to think about this you'd have to go back before Tom Sykes was in the team I suspect for them to have had quite as tricky a start to things is this so I mean that was kind of behind my question a little bit when we were talking about the R1 you know likewise perhaps just a bit long in the teeth or as you say we've got <laughs> This nasty sort of aero thing creeping in here as well, like we're seeing in MotoGP, albeit thankfully to a lesser degree, because I suppose they do have to be somewhat homologated to what the road bikes that you can buy have. But the question with Karasaki is, why have they not got those 500 revs back yet that they were denied at the beginning of last season, I think it was...
1: Uh, yeah, beginning of 21, I think it was. Uh, it's funny enough, before Australia this season, I was watching back some of the old races as you do. And Whitam and I were in Phillip Island chatting about the fact that Kawasaki had been really clever and re-homologated the road bike to sort of bend the rules really and get the revs back on the superbike, And that was another thing, let's just add, that they were penalised with, if you remember. It wasn't just reverse grids, it was the revs and lots of other things. Yeah. So that's, it was 2018, so it was five years ago when they first did this. And they tried to do it again in 21. I think they did it in 19 as well, if I'm not mistaken. But they were pretty much re-homologating the bike every single year. It's funny, because when we came into 19 and everybody said, that's a MotoGP bike, that Ducati, this isn't fair. Uh, people say, well, hang on a minute, the Kawasaki is even more of a homologation special than the. Ducati is, even though the Ducati's winning at the moment. That was the start of 2019. I wondered, and I don't know, Rich, but I wondered whether Kawasaki might have tested this season with the extra revs and then been told again, no, you're not having them. I don't think that probably was the case, but it certainly was the case in 2021. They thought they'd got extra revs Mm. tested with that setting and then were told by Scott Smart at the last moment, no, your re-homologation doesn't warrant enough of a change to be given these revs. And that'll be the same reason the FIM would give again now I don't know the technical detail. We'll have to check with the techie guys. But to be classed as a newly homologated motorcycle, you need to change certain things. Having said that, the car is homologated officially in the rule book for 2023 this year, almost forgetting which year we're in. Yes. But <laughs> there is a point at the bottom of those rules, which does say it comes down to the discretion of the FIM and the technical officer. So this is where you get the overlap again between the technical rules and the good of the show yeah so it's difficult it's impossible actually for me to know where the balance is so yes it's a question we're going to have to put to people i think when we get to assen next time out why didn't they get the revs and we're either going to hear well they're trying to balance the show we've already got a really good show on here or they haven't changed enough technically inside that bike we're going to hear the thing is we're going to hear all sorts of different opinions and we'll probably never quite know the truth it's not just about the revs though is it but let's be honest it would help it would yes. definitely help when Bautista... It probably wouldn't even be a discussion if Bautista wasn't on the grid, though. Because we're saying, do they need extra revs? But why do they need them? Because they're losing ground to Ducatis. You know, look at Honda and BMW. They've got the rebs. They're always fastest through the speed traps. Honda and BMW are always up there. They are usually one, two, three, four. But it just proves, again, that it's not just all about revs and straight line speed. That's why, again, it underlines how well Bautista's doing. Yeah.
0: as you say greg everyone's gonna have a different opinion on this one aren't they yeah depending on which side of the fence you happen to be on all exactly. i will say is that when johnny ray is wringing the thing's neck as much as he is having to do and he's yeah. having the sort of difficulties that he's having which as you say is not all about the rev limit yeah necessarily the straight line speed but i suppose he might reasonably argue well if we could have a bit more straight line speed i wouldn't be having to push it so hard in the turns etc cetera, etc cetera. but i don't know Great. as you say it's a very very difficult balance to find i want to just pick up though on again what we were talking about really in terms of the waiting in the wings thing and how badly positioned kawasaki find themselves I maybe mean, you've already mentioned it but they just do not have a sort of a talent feed coming through i mean not that that's necessarily the be all and the end all that's more of a modern thing i suppose you know these kind of academy systems or semi-work satellite squads that you know you just Bring the talent through. But where's the next big Kawasaki star coming from?
1: Good question. Because there was people last year who were saying Ducati favor Batista. But then, sure enough, Ronaldi comes out at the start of this year and says, I'm going to party less this year. I know I could have done a, a better job. So it just shows sometimes these accusations that get flying around. There is still the question as well, I have to say, because it's still there of how well do both sides of that Kawasaki garage work together? And I know it's something Jonathan Ray was pushing for last year. Alex Lowe's and Jonathan Ray got on very well. There's no love lost between the two of them because, I mean, look at the move Jonathan put on Alex in Indonesia in race one and pushed them both wide and they lost positions to Domi Egeta, who went through on the GRT Yamaha and went past both of them. So that certainly didn't help, but... You just get the feeling again that, let's just call it, not the finest relationship between the two crew chiefs in the Kawasaki team. Are they working as well as they could be as a team? And I think it's pretty obvious that the answer is no. It basically operates as two separate teams, not as much in the way as it did during the Sykes-Ray days. But it's definitely um, not as one mm. as a lot of the other teams, in my opinion. Patti Yamaha worked really well on both sides. They're always together on the track, giving each other a toe in qualifying. Kawasaki started copying that, if you remember last year, at two or three of the rounds. So, you know, again, this is why Ducati, just to repeat myself, are doing such a good job because every single one of these areas, turning, braking, straight line speed, working together as a team, the two riders having a great relationship, it's all working brilliantly. They've got everything right, whereas others are getting some things really perfect and other things totally and utterly wrong. And when the level is this high and the, you know, such fine details are influencing what happens, this is why you see what's happening now. You know, let's not forget Jonathan Ray nearly won the first race this season. He nearly won that race and he had that problem which dropped him back uh, with the auto blipper in the rain he would have probably won that race and he had a similar situation there in australia at the end of last year when the red flag came out and i reckon he could have beaten bautista i think he'd save the tire better but we had the Laverty forest crash and the race was stopped so we could easily have had Jonathan Ray winning the last race of last year and the first race of this year, uh, but it didn't quite happen. And then we probably wouldn't be talking about Kawasaki quite as we are at the moment. <laughs> but no, it's it's just very, very tight. The level of the field is much tighter than it was before. And that's why you're seeing such variation in the results. But I think it's a good thing for the show. I've got nothing against anyone or for anyone. That's why we've got the situation we're in at the moment, which, to be honest, Rich, is probably quite good for the Championship anyway. We've got a a bit of a different order and variety is the spice of life.
0: Yeah, I think for me... Picking up on what you just said about the two sides of the Kawasaki garage. And as yeah. you say, that goes all the way back to when Tom Sykes was there. Yeah. I, I mean, are we overstating things to say it's kind of inexcusable for Kawasaki to have let this go on this long? Because it is actually damaging them now. I think.
1: Well, somebody I know who used to work for that team, who doesn't work for them anymore, who shall remain nameless, obviously. Mm-hmm. I know said once to Gim Rode of the team, he said, Gim, you do realise you're not running one team there, don't you? You're running two teams there. And I think it's fair to say, I mean, if you walk into the Patty Yamaha garage from the back, so not the pit lane side, but from the back, you come out in the main garage because obviously you basically these garages you go in it's an empty garage at the start of the weekend and then they set it all up put carpet down put the backdrops in which is what you see on the TV where the riders are sat but when you come in the door on a race weekend you open the door at the back of the garage from where the trucks are parked in the paddock Yeah. and you come into a bit of a messy area at the back there's usually a sink and a toilet depending on the circuit you're at they're obviously larger or smaller depending on the track and how old the facilities are but it's basically a load of stuff at the back there's desks there's computers with people working on them tyres spare fairings and parts whatever and then you walk through into the bit we see on the tv which is the front of house front of shop as it were yeah now when you walk into the patty yamaha garage you come out in the middle so you come out in the middle you've got monitors above you you're looking out onto the pit lane bike on the left bike on the right and on your left is one rider with his crew chief and on the right is another one and they're all facing in to the bikes and facing each other so they can have a chat with their own crew chief but they can easily look across and signal and chat with the other rider or other crew chief if they need to. Kawasaki, you walk into the back of the garage and you have to either go left to Alex Lowe's and Marcel Drinker's crew, or you go right to Jonathan Ray and Pedereba. And once you get in, you've got the crew chief and the rider sat there. And between them is like a column. So if they want to speak with the other team, in inverted commas, they've got to stick their head round or actually mm-hmm. get up and physically move, which doesn't normally happen. The middle of the garage has just got like a workbench down the middle of it as well. Pretty much you could put a Rossi Lorenzo-esque sort of wall down the middle there. So I, I don't know. I just, I could be wrong and I might get slammed for saying this, but I just can't help feeling, you know, we've all been in different jobs in life, whether it's, Connected to racing as we are doing now or other jobs, completely different fields we've been in over our lives so far. And I think we would all agree, and you could probably even take this back to playing with your cousins at home when you're a kid or playing in the school playground. If you stick, as, stick together as one and work together, it's probably going to get you to where you want to be easier than trying to do the whole lot on your own. You can't mm. do it on your own. You know, they say, don't they, the married couples, two forces pulling in the same direction are unstoppable. And it's true. I really do think there's a a lot to be said, I really do. And it's not just all about lack of revs and straight line speed and Mm. Batista and Ducati and all the rest of it. I think there's a lot more to it, a lot of which is apparent from the outside and a lot we'll probably never, ever know.
0: Yeah. Interesting. We'll see if they... Uh, Embrace some change at some point through necessity, if nothing else. But we'll see. A slightly happier situation, perhaps down the pit lane at Honda. Then, so I think fair to say, green sheets of progress starting to make themselves seen. Yeah. Yes, they're getting the super concessions, but as we said, that's I think is a good system. MotoGP has really shown that that is a very, very good business model, if nothing else, because you want as many different manufacturers interested in being in the sport and more importantly staying in the sport. Given the reputation of some of these firms, uh, one that we'll come on to. A minute and well, I suppose we've already touched on this but a bit like we're seeing in MotoGP have HRC been a bit guilty of being a bit slow and perhaps a bit conservative uh unwilling to change I mean again we've just been talking about another brand from the same part of the world uh, and again I keep kind of coming back to this whether this is a cultural thing perhaps uh, I think you can certainly make the argument for that in Moto GP if you look at what's happening over there so as I said earlier on I think it's probably somewhat fortunate that some of the other european brands aren't in world superbike although we'd obviously love it if they were but <laughs> having said all of that fair play to leon camia i mean since he's come on board maybe it's a coincidence but I, clearly something's going right there and it coincides with leon coming in as team manager so what do you know about honda they got two kick-ass riders as well which always helps
1: i think to refer to Leon Camier, who, for those of you who don't know, is the most successful rider never to have won a race, the most starts with his name without winning one, so, plenty of experience dominated BSB, of course, yeah, 2009. And that's why the showdown was brought in. I because was gonna of say, domination. <laughs> all, all
0: because of Bloody Leon cameo, the damn uh, showdown, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that, of course, that's changed as well, hasn't it? This year, the yes, completely yeah. looked at the BSB. So there still is a showdown, but now you new showdown finale as well, and yeah. three different point systems across the season. But uh, back to cameo and Honda, I think the greatest thing about that is probably that he understands the mindset of a rider. You know, he's been there and done it. So he gets La he gets Vieira, they all get on very well with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of Spanish spoken in that team as well as English and obviously Japanese, but a lot of Spanish. It's very much like Kawasaki actually and the HRC Grand Prix team for that matter, Repsol Honda. And then as you said, they've benefited from the super concessions which allow some changes to the pivot chain, headstock, things at the front there that they wouldn't be allowed to do. Of course, there's concessions and super concessions. So the main difference is the super concessions are brand specific so the main concessions are things in a nutshell that everybody can have uh you can choose from the same selection the super concessions are bmw's granted a certain thing or honda's granted a certain thing or karasaki Ducati, or yamaha would be if they qualified for them let's just remember they could still be reeled back in so if they started doing too well which i don't think will happen this year they're not going to start dominating the championship are they but if they did in theory on paper the organizers could reel them back in again which i think is fair enough when you've been given something outside the regulations yeah because these bikes come from road bikes, don't they? Pedro Reba, Jonathan Ray's crew chief said to me a few years ago he said sometimes super bikes is more complicated than MotoGP. yes MotoGP gp is the pinnacle because it's grand prix racing their prototype machines but you start with a blank sheet of paper every time a superbike you're starting with a road bike which is designed for certain parameters whether yeah. it's the tires it uses on the road whether it's the philosophy of that company and so many other things which market is that bike normally sold in what might of weather might that have to deal with there's loads and loads and loads of things Uh, too complicated for me to be able to understand. So I think hundred doing really well. I I was really pleased, Rich, to see Vieja get that podium. Yeah, He really deserved that. And I got shot down in flames by a few people last year um, saying, I reckon Vieje could give Laquana a good run for his money here. I think he's a lot better than people think. The Crona had a difficult Indonesia. He had that big crash, a massive high side on Friday morning. It reminded him of what had happened the year before. Then he had a best lap taken off him because of a yellow flag in qualifying. He was a bit off colour, wasn't he, in Indonesia for all these different reasons. But it's really nice to see a different manufacturer up there on the podium. It's exactly what we need for the show. Because at the end of the day, this is a show. If it's not a good spectacle on the telly or out the circuit, you might as well forget it. So it's great. I think they're doing a good job. I'll be really interested to see what they can do. They're joining Kawasaki next week for the Aragon test. Bradley Ray will be there as well. But the main manufacturers doing that one are Kawasaki and Honda. And then all five manufacturers are doing the Barcelona test right at the end of the month. So let's see where they go from here. Mm. But will we have, I wonder a honda victory this year and if i had to say a yes or a no now i'd like to think yes at some point even if it comes in the short sprint race i think they could do it barcelona might be a good option actually bearing in mind the long straight and remember they did get pole there last year with lacuona
0: yeah I wouldn't be gobsmackingly surprised if they won a race this year. Like, no, you. like I, I think yeah, they I... are getting a long last. I mean, it has taken a hell of a long time to get here. And some yeah. will say far too long. But anyway.
1: No, I agree. I think it has. I think it has. They came in in 2018 in a collaboration with Altair, if you remember at the time.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: And Moriwaki, or MIE, as I should say, Midori Moriwaki's team. That was, what's that, five years ago? This is yeah. their sixth season. And then it got ramped up again. At one point, it felt like every year we were preparing voiceovers saying, this is Honda's year. <laughs> this is, And then this year we've actually done it again. Oh, but this year could be different because they've got the concession. Mm. Every single year we end up saying the same thing. I do think they could win a race or two this season. They're not going to win the championship, but I hope they win a few races. And if they can become regular podium challengers, even if they're not always on the podium, it's great. Everyone's a winner.
0: And I guess that would be their realistic target for the year. Anyway, wouldn't it To pick up a win if they can? Yeah. And as you say, to be regularly getting in the top six yeah. and bagging a few podiums
1: i was going to say before as well they um, the covid pandemic was a big complication for them as well yeah. limited testing things have got stuck in customs a few times limited the number of races then we had two new riders last year they changed suspension supplier last year they changed brake supplier now they do have that consistency so yeah. if ever there was a time to give them a fair assessment it is now if by the end of let's say next year they haven't done much better than they're doing now then I think it really is just criticism but let's see yeah. I still think there's more to come that is a really good bike a really good team and two very very good riders so yeah they could be the dark horse for next year who knows maybe not this year but for 24 who knows
0: I mean I echo your statement about yeah I mean he did crash far too much in Moto2 and it just kind of yeah a, a, an increasing kind of ongoing nightmare for him moto 2 didn't it Leclerc. Yeah. i've always had a i don't know why i mean he's a spaniard yet another spaniard i just like his style on the bike he's got a really very distinctive riding style
1: yeah he's a great character as well isn't he? the way he laughs and talks
0: i don't know i've never met him but so <laughs> <laughs>
1: Even in his interviews, that I mean, I, I don't really know care Aquino. I know some of the riders better than others mm. for various reasons, but just from seeing the interviews he does, even the ones you don't do yourself, it's, I don't know. I think he just comes across, he's got a nice smile. He's, he's he's laughing a lot. Apparently, he can be quite difficult to work with sometimes because he is so passionate.
0: Right, okay.
1: And uh, apparently, can throw his toys out the pram every now and again. A little bit like, let's say, Apollo Spargo can do. Really passionate, lovely yeah. guy but sometimes can get a little bit immature. Not so much now in Paul's case, but over the years.
0: It's in the blood somewhere, isn't it, yeah, Greg, I that, think? Yeah, it must uh, be uh, that. Lequon, uh, that's not a criticism, it's the worry, really. He, he doesn't have small crashes, does he? He's just one of these guys that he crashes, but he crashes big all the time. True. That would be the only question mark, I suppose, about him. But, you know, yeah, I really hope he does well. I, I thought yeah. he really got the rough end of the stick, a bit like Remy Gardner in Tech 3, KTM. Yeah. But, you know, they found a new home, so... Right. Okay. We we can't put it off any longer. We've got to talk about BMW. Yeah. Um, Where do we start with this one? I I was just going to say the same as you. I don't have lines and lines and lines of questions. I have one question. What is wrong at BMW?
1: Crikey. That's one question. I mean, how many (laughs) answers do you need to give to that?
0: Can I just say, actually, I thought it was telling in Mandalika. And again, I'm a great big fan of Scott Redding, but I, I wasn't terribly keen on the effing and Jeffin in the pits uh, his team yeah. whilst his teammates and satellite riders are busy getting a you know pretty decent finishing position so that was a bit i guess egg on the face perhaps for scott and he might reflect on that and think perhaps that wasn't but he at the moment i mean passionate guy and he just wants to do really really well but something's not clicking there is it and the worry with bmw is that it's that corporate giant isn't it and you just wonder how long it is before the suits do what they've done before And I say, we're spending far too much money here and we've got nothing to show for it.
1: I completely agree with everything you've just said there. We've seen this before. We've seen it in cars. We've seen it in bikes. And they do tend to make a lot of noise and don't deliver on the track. And I I don't like having to say this. I don't want BMW to be struggling. I don't want the Shawmure team to be struggling. I don't want to have to go down there and Hesitate to have to do an interview with somebody like, Oh, is this a good moment or is this not? I really wish we didn't have to look at it like that. But Brian Clough used to say in football, You can do whatever you like, but well, Brian Clough used to say a lot, didn't he? But at the end of the day, <laughs> results do the talking, and it's the same here, very much the same here. But I agree, I think I really like Scott Redding. Actually, I'm a big fan of Scott Redding's. Actually, I must yeah, say. well, me too, um, yeah, yeah. I think we all are, aren't we? I've Mm. always called him the people's champion and literally the champion, of course, in BSB a few years ago. People love Scott because he says what he thinks, but I do think his emotions get the better of him sometimes. And like you've just said in that race in Indonesia, van was sick, I think he was, wasn't he? he? So it's like, uh, well, it's not too bad. And another problem is is that van was actually outperforming him until he got hurt. Unfortunately, he's broken two fingers. He's lucky he's got six, seven weeks before Asen.
0: Oh, was it a result of that high side he's broken two fingers, has he? yeah. Can can
1: I just throw in, by the way, yeah, the uh, fourth and fifth fingers of his left hand, I believe. That track in Indonesia is too dangerous. I'm not talking about a lack of runoff area or bad medical facilities or a lack of marshals. I'm not referring to anything like that. Just the fact that he's so dusty and dirty off the line. Should we, uh, as the World Superbike Championship or MotoGP, get there as well, be risking even more unnecessary danger in what is already a very, very dangerous sport. It just seems too much of a penalty to me. Anyway, I'm just going to throw that in there. That track's not used, is it? It's it's by a beach. It's on a remote island, you know, relatively remote island. I don't know. I just don't like seeing crashes that shouldn't happen. Something can break on a bike. A rider can make a mistake at any moment. It could rain and you go down. Oil might get dropped. Yes, it can happen, but it's almost like Mario Karts with a banana skin or something. It just seems too risky to me. Yeah. Anyway, not that I'm any expert on track safety.
0: But the credence to what you're saying, Greg, and all crashes are different and you can't always blame the track conditions. It's, yeah. it's true, but we've seen two monster high sides for Ona there over the last two years. Yes. You had that Vandermark one. Obviously, Mar- Marquez launched himself to the moon. in yeah. I, Now, I don't know if that was because he was slightly offline. Possibly not, but... Well, I know the Vandermark one. I don't know about
1: Marquez. I know Vandermark for a Back, Patrucci had passed him at the previous corner, quite an aggressive, hard but fair move. But Vandermark went wide onto the dirt, but obviously sat up at that point. He's coming out of turn 10. And as soon as he gets to 11, it sends him to the moon and back because he had dirt on his tyres.
0: The big high side is a crash that is not really that common in motorcycle racing anymore with the electronics that we've got in the sport. So it it points to a problem, which is kind of particular to that place, isn't it? Which is really basically what you're saying that 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 needs to be dealt with or a different arrangement found.
1: Yeah, and I'm not saying i've got the solution i'm not professing to say everything they've got wrong and it's a brilliant venue obviously And it we always do get eventful races and lots to talk about but i don't know Mm. we always seem to come out of there with somebody hurt don't we which is i don't know it just doesn't feel as safe as it could be that's all i'm saying
0: yeah no it's fair point
1: As a fan really and back to bmw you asked what is going on oh i think it's a mixture of the emotions getting the better of people i think it feels as though there's This line between, you know, you've already touched on it, Rich, the commercial side of it, the corporate side of it, and then the pure passion, the racing side of things. You know, Ducati's a race team, aren't they? Ferrari are a race team in the car world. BMW? What are they aiming to do? This is what Scott Redding got in trouble for pre-season and wasn't Mm. even allowed to give interviews at the test and probably didn't want to anyway. Um, Are they more interested in selling bikes or are they more interested in winning? The problem is when he comes out and says that, people might think, well, why would I go and buy a BMW M1000RR? And remember, there's an M1000RR these days. The prestigious letter M within the BMW company, enormous. They sell a hell of a lot of road cars, not quite as many bikes, but they sell a lot of bikes. It's probably the best thing you can get as a stocker on a track day you probably couldn't
0: do any better exactly that Greg I mean as a stock weapon it's had a huge amount of success yeah. year after year after year but the actual pure superbike version of it there's just something that doesn't quite seem to work in any championship
1: James Taser read this out and he also sent it to me on a whatsapp message just so I had it to refer to if we needed to in the commentary and I'm just going to quickly go back to it Rich if I can just find the message from James because it was very interesting and by the way and I put this in the commentary for anyone who didn't hear because I know sometimes i've heard people saying oh it's just sour grapes because james got hurt and his career ended on a bmw now as a friend of mine and my colleague i thought although he is a friend and a colleague i've got to be honest here and and say to james there's no sour grapes either james because some people might think you're bitching a bit about bmw and he said absolutely not he said i I don't blame BMW for that at all. In fact, his crash came when he was tyre testing. Uh, So I just wanted to throw that out there. It's not James having a go at BMW. But he compared his race time of 2007 when he was on the Honda in Australia. And it was 34 minutes and 16 seconds. Obviously, we have to take into account weather conditions can vary, track surfaces. We're maybe not comparing eggs for eggs completely, but as a rough guide. Australia 2023, in comparison with 2007, James Tozen works out. Ducati have improved by 36 seconds, okay, over a full race distance. Bear in mind, well, Superbike races are a bit shorter now than they used to be. They got shortened in about 2012 or 13. So, Ducati, 36-second improvement. Honda, 23-second improvement. Karasaki, 22 seconds. Yamaha, 27 seconds. BMW, 7 seconds. Wow. I mean, that is incredible. Over that 16-year period, mm. okay, as I said before, there's a lot of things to take into account. Another thing, Rich, they're very um, stubborn. They're set in their ways, I think, about... The cat sat on the what they used got rid and kept insisting last year they use a different clutch. Said if I can make a better start, I can be up with the leaders. In the end, they did change the clutch. And sure enough, guess what happened? He started making better starts and he was up there with the leaders in some of yeah. the races at Most and places like
0: that. This is what's so befuddling to me is that you know, he, there were a few races last year. Donington, I think he had a good round, okay. Yeah. Home round, you might say that was part of it, but to say, be fair, they always go well at Donington, don't yeah, they? But there were signs last year that you know they got that new swing arm in that appeared to have an immediate positive yeah. effect. And now we're back to the big beginning of the season and what's happened now again?
1: Even that swing arm, Rich, it came up on a graphic during free practice one at Donington saying new Kalex swing arm and somebody very close to BMW did let slip to me before we went back on air for FP2. Oh, they didn't like that. They didn't like that it said it's a Kalex swing arm. They don't want to have to be admitting that. It's almost as though BMW see it as the facts that they fail to have to use someone else's swing arm.
0: Yeah. Well, we saw exactly the same thing with HRC and MotoGP last year when they ran the Calex swing arm. It was kind yes. of like a massive admission of failure, as they saw it.
1: But isn't it doing more damage to the brand? And again, I don't profess to be any technical guru or <laughs> marketing man at all, but... You'd think common sense would state that it looks better for you to be on the podium than struggling where they are as a brand.
0: It still says m 1000 RO on the fairing, doesn't it?
1: Exactly. And, and the BMW logo on the front and on the side and all over the riders' leathers and everything else. It's a strange one. There's been a change within the team as well. Mark Bongers is sort of sharing his role now with uh, one of the guys, Valerio, who's been there for many years. But the critics are saying that's a sort of change to not be the full man when it all goes wrong. So what? hard to know what to believe, really. But ECU, that's probably the biggest thing, you know, the electronics. They're the only manufacturer team, if not the only team full stop in that paddock, to not be using the Magneti Morelli system now. I'm not saying that Magneti Morelli are better as an ECU maker or a company in general than Bosch who make the BMW system because they're clearly, they're Bosch, they're world famous, they're excellent. However, in the paddock, Morelli are the leaders in the sense that more people are using it. So there's more data available, there's more things to compare with. You have to feel if that changed, they'd probably go better in the same way that everyone was on a Bosch ECU. I'm not saying it specifically to no, no, criticise Bosch. I'm just meaning they're on a different system. The 10 car to Honda used to be the same when it was Honda Motor Europe when Sylvain Ginty went there as world champion, if you looked at the specs, they were on different brakes, different suspensions, different ECU, they were using a Cosworth ECU at that time. And it just struck you as, wow, everything's different on this bike. They can't, have got nothing to compare with, with anyone else, whether it's mm. Brembo braking issues or data in the sense that they were not on Brembo. But if they had a problem, if everyone else is using them, you can compare, can't you? Uh, or whether it's suspensions, ECU, whatever it is, it doesn't really yeah. matter what it is. They're not far off. They have made improvements. You know, they they are, lapping at a reasonable speed. They've made some gains, but the problem is everybody else has. And the other problem is, even bigger problem is everyone else's games apparently are even greater than theirs. Vandermark was injured. That was another thing I guess you could throw in there. He got hurt last year, broke his leg pre-season. Then he came back and he broke it again. So he was out all year. So he's not really had any running, has he, relatively speaking? Although to be fair to VDM, he's done a great job so far this year, but now he's hurt again.
0: But uh, And that's the problem with him. He just always injures himself, doesn't he? He's a bit like Danny Pedroza used to be, crashes and injures himself. almost inevitably injures himself it's a
1: bit of a vicious circle then because the harder you're having to ride the further back you are you're probably having to ride harder the more chance there is of running into somebody or having someone run into you or you know and then sure enough it's exactly why he crashed in indonesia he was being overtaken by petrucci as i said before i'm not saying he wouldn't have crashed if he was in the lead on his own but i think it's fair to say there's more chance that's going to happen when you're in the situation they are in so i don't know what they're going to do let's just hope oh let's hope they don't pull out but history tells us that these big companies come and go we've seen it Mm. so many times they and they normally do well for a while and then they'll drop it the truth is with a lot of these teams in motor racing it's a marketing tool what they're doing and i know for a fact that the bmw world superbike project the budget for that from the pairing company comes out of the marketing budget for BMW. It's used as a marketing advertising tool in very much the same way it is for Red Bull in Formula 1 to sell energy drinks, cans of Red Bull. The F1 team is used, as many other extreme sports are with Red Bull, as a marketing tool. So, if they decide it's not working, you know, if surely at the moment it's doing damage to the sales of the bikes. So I don't know that, but from the way they've reacted, you think it would be. So, it does make you wonder how much longer they're going to go on. Let's hope, please, for the good of BMW and for Redding and Vandermark and Shawmuir and Mark Bongers and World Superbike itself. Let's hope they start making some progress. I really, really hope they do. And it, it would be brilliant if they do.
0: We were having exactly this same conversation 12 months ago. This is the problem. Uh, and while other teams have moved forward, a few have dropped back a little bit in certain regards. But BMW, yeah. I, I'll tell you what would be fascinating tonight. I know this is a conversation that with trust involved <laughs> and no leakage. But <laughs> I'd love to speak to somebody like Sean Muir and say, right, Sean, forget the BMW bit of all of this. You've run very successful teams in the PSB paddock. Yes. You know, he's been in World Superbike a fair few years. He knows how to run a race team and he knows motorcycles. I'd love to know... From him, what's the problem with the BMW? Yeah. Well if you know if he answered that question honestly, I'm sure he knows. A lot of what the problems are. And as you've already said, it could just be that the brand is just not willing to concede ground on certain red lines, like the Bosch ECU, for example, yeah. and other things, be they equipment or operational or whatever. Mm. Clearly, there is something in that bike that's not working at the moment. And I'd love to know what it is that's wrong. <laughs> you could also say,
1: how is the relationship between the team and the manufacturer? Because that is the model we have in World Superbikes now. You have a manufacturer and a team. So, and I've probably said this on the show before, so I'm sorry if I have repeated myself. You've got Kawasaki and Provec. You've got Ducati and Feel Racing, Yamaha and Crescent, Honda, a little bit different. That's the one you could say is really, really factory, I guess. Mm-hmm. It is just HRC. It's not another team running it on their behalf. And then BMW is Shawmure Racing. Yeah. How good is the relationship between those as well? I mean, is there a power struggle of some kind? You've got Shawmure on one side, Mark Bong was on another side. They apparently work well together, but it just makes you wonder, you know, how does it all work? We're not in the technical briefings. We never will be. But yeah, maybe when we get to Assen in a few weeks, it will be a question we have to put to Sean They're in a very difficult situation because, of course, Sean your' racing are trying to try their absolute utmost of course they are and then mm. some but when you've got the bmw board also you know making noises about this could threaten sales of the road bikes and not happy with what scott reading said pre-season it must be putting some pressure on the sean Muir team must not it yeah uh the press relations with the riders and all that sort of thing i mean oh dear oh dear yeah. that is a challenge and a half and uh and worryingly it doesn't seem like there's a, a really apparent solution there i It just seems to come back to the philosophy of the manufacturer, doesn't it? Really, I'm afraid. And I say I'm afraid because they're not doing that well at the moment. Let's hope they can get it together. I really hope they do.
0: Gerloff is a bit of an unknown quantity on the BMW it's true to say but they've got Loris Baz Michael Van Der Mark and Scott Redding I mean it ain't a rider problem that's for sure
1: Race 2 in Australia they finished all together 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th all four of them two different teams all sorts of different crew chiefs with different ideas and ways of thinking four different riding styles 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th there was five seconds covering all four of them so that shows they are getting the most out of that bike
0: doesn't it the only person who's having a I don't generally swear on the podcast but the only person who's having a shit of time in World Superbike this year is Tom Sykes debatable whether he should have ever gone back to that team really at the stage that he's at let's not talk about that but i mean that's the only other person i can think of having a worse time at the moment in World Superbikes that springs to my mind
1: just quickly cover off time in a few seconds he had gear shift problems in Australia all three races in the pit went back out in the last race had another problem threw him off the bike that was Australia done and dusted all the way to Australia for that and then (laughs) Indonesia in the pits again but I don't know whether this time it was more to do with gear shift problems or quickly rushing to the toilet because he was really really unwell another weekend yeah Yeah, another one Uh, he was really feeling unwell and really rough so let's give them a chance we know it's a good team at Pichetta We know it's Tom Sykes on that bike. Although the yeah. cynics would say, yes, he is a world champion, but that was 10 years ago, by the way. You know, he hasn't won a world super right race since 2018. But Tom's in a good place. He's as relaxed as I've ever known him, to be honest. We know Manuel Pachetti and that team are a good team. Look what Toprak used to do with them. Yeah. Let's see if they can come good. I hope they do. Assen could be all right for Tom.
0: He's one of those sort of mercurial sort of people, isn't he? I mean, BSB yeah. was a classic last year. I mean, he looked genuinely as if he didn't want to be there a lot of the time. Nobody was quite sure why he was, I suppose. But I think
1: that's probably because he didn't want to be there. Well,
0: yeah, but- he turns up to donington and just basically could have won all three races that weekend yeah. he had a bit of bad luck he did win a race you know yeah turns up at a sort of world level track and suddenly exactly. it's the yeah. old tom exactly. back again
1: yeah exactly he's back on the full grand prix circuit at donington and also it was contract time
0: yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> right greg I, i'm conscious of the time because you've got to go up to uh, meet some people shortly so uh i'm just going to quickly ask you one more thing out of a little list that i came up with obviously the motorpod listenership is International, So I'm always conscious that I mustn't talk too much about the Brits, but it is a slightly unusual situation with Bradley Ray. I think it's worth touching on him in particular. Yeah. I personally think it's quite a savvy move to just ease himself in fairly gently with the European rounds on the Yamaha. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the team now, but I think it's a pretty good team. So he's not doing the full season, but he gets to come in just for the European rounds this year, sort of ease himself in. And I'm, you know, if his form on last year's R1 in Bisbea is anything to go by. Different bike technical package. Yes but very, very fast. So looking forward to seeing him at Assen.
1: Yes. He's with an Italian team called Moto X Racing. That's the name you were looking for there. Yes. Um, who had Roberto Tamburini last year. And he's a good rider himself, a very competent rider. In fact, in the Italian championship in particular, and had some really good results. Actually, if you look back at last year's championship in world superbike, there's a few point scoring results in there, which is the most I could ask for. And to be honest with you, Rich, I think it's the most Bradley Ray can ask for this year as well. I feel sorry for him that he's had to sit at home and, watch philip island and Mandalika, probably desperate to be out there however as you said maybe takes a bit of pressure off them they won't be doing argentina either so just the european season so it's a nine round season for last year's bsb champion and they've had some tests they're testing again, starting with Aragon next week. And that's going to be important because I know from the previous one at Portimao that they basically didn't have any of the latest parts. So there was a parts shortage, which is why they didn't do Hereth. They delayed it to Portimao. Mm-hmm. The parts didn't arrive in time. But they went out anyway and got some laps in. What I can say is it's a really good professional little team there. They're supported by Yamaha mm-hmm. with Andrea Dossi, So they can look at Toprak's data, look at Telly's data, and they will be. I'm not saying he's going to put a Toprak setup on and go straight out with that because that <laughs> probably won't do many favours at all. But they can chat with Paul Denning's team and the Jansanti racing team where we've got obviously Agata and Gardner. And I guess in some ways... You could say it takes the pressure off Bradley Array a bit because we're not going to be expecting too much. And I don't think we should expect too much. If he gets points, that's a good start. He's two rounds down as well. Remember, everybody else has had six races in Australia and Indonesia. So if he can score some points, that's the most he can do. He's got circuits to learn as
0: well. Yeah, Yes,
1: he's done Red Bull rookies in the past, but he doesn't know quite a few of the circuits. That's going to be a, another thing to learn. Imola, Bagby cours places like that.
0: So, Greg, Brad is. Managed by Shaky Burn. Yes. Do you happen to know? Was the European rounds only kind of an enforced? Thing in terms of the deal that they could get, or was it part of a more kind of let's do it this way in year one and then try and do something different in year two? Or which side of the fence were they on? They had to do it this way or they chose to do it this way?
1: They had to do it this way because, right. from my understanding, Dorna have reduced a little bit this year the amount they're helping fund the teams for freight. So, Moto X was one of those teams. If right. you remember when Supersport 300 went to Qatar a few years ago, they only went once, but not all the teams went. I think they only took the top 20 riders the championship if memory serves me right and it's not just moto x who've been victims i think is the right word of this Pedicini racing as well they've not been on the grid yet this year they've got isaac vinales on the bike this season so we'll see them also only doing the european round so yeah it's some of the smaller teams basically have fallen foul of that one which is good in some ways for cost saving i suppose but it's a shame we didn't get to see bradley ray at the first two rounds, isn't it? And obviously, the same goes for sack Vignades as well. And it's yeah. also another reason why we have that FIM Europe Supersport Cup, it used to be called. It's now called the Supersport Challenge in World Supersport, where we'll have another nine riders only doing the European races. And that includes Tom Booth Amos. It includes... Uh, Alvaro Diaz last year's 300 champion and I would just throw this in the mix and I hate to say it but I think it will be the case having another nine riders on the grid is going to make things even more difficult for Tara McKenzie and Honda and mm. for John McPhee and for Harry Trulove because it's going to be a lot more riders so they've had some great results so far and had some points but we've been nine riders down at the first two rounds so we'll have a full grid of super sport riders from Assen onwards and they'll obviously be battling for their own little championship of their race within a race as well
0: I would imagine Taz is just hoping for another 15 to 20 brake horsepower as things stand At the minute,
1: yeah, well, they're testing soon as well with the spec two versions. Yeah, let's hope there goes the church outside. Yeah, I was gonna say, if anybody wonders what Um, that noise is, it's the
0: church bells.
1: (laughs) Yeah, is it some sort of divine intervention to help Taz McKenzie and Honda? I wonder.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, the only other just quick fire one last my my little sort of signature question I gave you last time, which was uh, any track, any rider. I think you said Marquez on a Honda at Pockenheim, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, so this time. Uh, And it's kind of like a genuine question anyway. Um, If you could get rid of one track off the World Superbike calendar this year, which would it be and what track would you replace it with? Ooh,
1: I'd say take Misano off, purely due to the fact that we've got two races in Italy. Mm -hmm. And I'd always rather take Misano off and not Imola, because Imola's back this year, I'm really pleased to say.
0: Totally agree.
1: I would take Misano off for that reason because we've already got one in Italy and I would replace it with Suzuka because I think we need a Japanese round. I think it would be brilliant to see World Superbikes at Suzuka. Maybe you could tie it in with the eight hour and do them on back-to-back weekends or something like that because a lot of people do both. So that yeah. would make sense from a logistical point of view, wouldn't it? And I just think we need World Superbikes in Japan. I mean, so many of the manufacturers are from Japan. Why do we not have a Japanese round? There's others as well. We need to be back in the American market. I'd love to see Laguna back on i think a lot of people if you ask that question would say get laguna back on yeah but no i'd say japan for now because we have not had a japanese round for wow i can't remember when the last time was it must be i was going to say late 90s but it must be early 2000s i think so would that have been sugo sugo it was sugo yeah
0: yeah okay uh, just for what it's worth my choice of tracks to go a bit like you i'm not a huge fan of world championships that have multiple races in one country
1: yeah we've got two in spain as well haven't
0: well there? you have in due respect to where you live, but I would personally yeah. take Barcelona off at the minute because it's just a Ducati joke, really. Yeah, true, true. I'm not a fan of Mizano like you. Mm. Not against Imola, particularly since they, and I'm showing my age now, but since they started going the wrong way around Mizano, which has been going on for quite some years now. Yeah. Which is a safety thing, I know. But I can't see at this point in time why we're not going to Istanbul Park, to be honest with you, and that would be a great race as well. Yeah,
1: there was um, a strong feeling that we might go back there a few years ago. Well, in fact, no, I say a few years ago, recently, because Toprak won the World Championship. Well, yeah, I
0: mean, obviously, they've got that marketing angle to it as well as it being a kick-ass track.
1: And also, I'll have to check, you've just reminded me as well, I'll have to check with Keenan Safoglu because he was developing a new facility, a completely new facility in Turkey of his own. A huge circuit, obviously, with investors involved. But Mm. that seems to have gone quiet too. I don't quite know what happened there. But I mean, wow. I mean, if you could put together... I don't think you'd want too many rounds. I think the most rounds you'd probably want in a world Superbike season without making it too long, I'd say is probably about 15 rounds. Mm-hmm. Do you reckon? For a good number of rounds. But we need America back. Yeah. And I think if you're gonna go anywhere in America, you'd probably want to go to Laguna. Although then again, there's some other I mean, Road America is an incredible circuit, but you've got to think of the safety aspect. So I'd yeah. like Laguna Seika back, definitely Suzuka, which has never hosted a World Superbike round, but it would be good to have Japan. Well, we need Japan back, don't yeah. we? For goodness sake, in yeah. Suzuka. And then I mean, really, you know, you'd like to say somewhere like Cadwell part, but realistically, that's not (laughs) going to happen. Of course, the one you could say, of course, is Brands Hatch.
0: Brands. Yeah, I was going to say, I I would, I know, again, I'll, I'll get shouted down by a fair contingent of people, and fair enough, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But I would, if I had the choice, I'd swap Donington and Brands around. yeah brands is just a great track but probably from a safety point of view might be a bit on the edge now like laguna yeah like so many of these tracks but i heard yesterday just as an aside on a podcast that it looks like the mighty bruno track is going to be turned into a massive housing estate i mean what kind of sacrilege is that really so some of these tracks, you know, they need to be used; otherwise, they just get swallowed into the developer world.
1: Oh, that's terrible. Well, that's that's really strange you say that because um, when I was in the airport getting ready just ahead of the Indonesia round, I got a text message from Carol Abraham. Uh, well, oh, a, yeah. WhatsApp, a WhatsApp message actually. Yeah, who, yeah. Of course, I got to know quite well in MotoGP and then in World Superbike. And uh, he was replying. Can you believe this? He was replying to a voice message I'd sent him in 2018. Oh, Wow. <laughs> I said, Carol, hey, we're the head of you been for the last five years, and B that is the longest ever reply <laughs> to or delay in reply to a WhatsApp message. And anyway, I always basically just say at the time as a check rider, how do you pronounce the name of the circuit? Because we hear Bruno, I say Bruno. Yeah. Nick Harris always used to say Bruno. Anyway, go on. Is it Bruno? Yeah, that's what Carol said. Yeah, Bruno. Yeah. I'll probably keep saying Bruno anyway. because yeah. Most people tend to say, but yeah. And I said, what's the latest? I said, is your dad still running the circuit? He said, I don't really know. He said, I don't pay too much attention to it, but I believe it's still my dad and someone else running it with him hmm. so it's quite interesting you now just come out and tell me that about a big housing estate that's that is a tragedy that is
0: it would be a sad day
1: they built on the track in uh rio didn't they where formula one used to race that's yeah. another one that got destroyed if that happens with bruno that really is an absolute tragedy i mean i know it's not the original Bruneau course but it's still one of the finest racetracks certainly yeah. in europe if not in the world what a tragedy
0: yeah that was on a well-repeated other motorcycle racing podcast that I heard that. So I think Mm. it's obviously got a grain of truth to it. So pretty terrible. I'm going to finish up now because we're about to hit our time deadline, but uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out for your new podcast Um, and for the benefit of the British listeners, because this might not travel too well in terms of some of our other listeners around the world, but I just want to say, ha ha. So that was my terrible Alan Partridge impression. So, Greg, you've got a new podcast, Talking Away is what it's called. And I guess it's going to be mostly kind of, racing related but you had a couple of christmas specials where you were talking with some mates of yours about alan partridge who for the people that don't know well you tell everybody who alan partridge is because he's a legend
1: how can people not know who alan partridge is uh, alan <laughs> partridge was originally a sports comic he's a character but i didn't think we'd be talking about this today so uh, <laughs> thank you for the plug for the show by the way yeah <laughs> yeah talking away with greg haynes is the name and it's on spotify and all the other places you can find podcasts and yeah to be honest it wasn't going to be a racing podcast I'll oh, we completely up front here but i've thought about this long and hard and we're going back on socials not me personally but as the podcast so it's talking away podcast on instagram and talking away pod on twitter because it was too long to have the whole <laughs> podcast name that's the only reason that's happened yeah. but anyway i just think with the people i know obviously in my career it's mostly people involved in bike racing and car racing so completely honestly i think the best way of building any kind of following or audience certainly at this point is to do racing based stuff to hopefully get some retweets and shares and likes and follows or whatever yeah. whatever they're called these days on the various platforms but yeah it's not just racing so I did do one with my cousin and my other cousin's boyfriend over Christmas up in Stockport in the UK about Alan Partridge he, sorry to answer your question it's yeah. a fictional character put together uh, by Steve Coogan the comedian and he was originally a, a sports commentator wasn't he Rich and he basically yeah. pokes fun takes the mickey out of other television broadcasters and the BBC and lots of other very British things it is a very, very English thing, isn't it, Alan Partridge? It totally is. It's the sort of comedy. Why I love it, yeah. And
0: this is a compliment, but it's the sort of comedy that makes you sweat while you're watching it because it yeah. is so toe awkward. A lot of the situations yeah. that he gets himself into, and some of the things he says. Yeah. Uh, whilst the, I mean, there's not a situation that you'll encounter in life where a Partridge quote cannot be used. Oh. In some way or form. Yeah. People should go and check him out if they aren't aware.
1: It's also classic British comedy in the sense that if you look at American comedy, they tend to big up the hero, don't they, of the hour. Whereas British comedy, we like to shoot people down in flames.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) Having met quite a few people now in the world of television, I tell you what, I've not quite yet met a Richard Maidley, but because that's one of the people Partridge is loosely based on, yeah. along with Noel Edmonds and other TV personalities. But there's some real Partridges out there. A lot of people say, I'm one, but oh, trust me on this. I'm nothing in comparison with some of the people I know. It's unbelievable. And it generally tends to be saying what you think before you engage your brain and trying too hard to be popular.
0: And it's like anybody that's worked in a big office building for a big company, you will always bump into a David Brent. I mean, these people are based on real people at the end of the day. They are caricatures and extreme versions. It's true. But so, you know, that was those two Christmas specials that you did, Greg, that certainly (laughs) had me uh, laughing away. Uh, But I must just also compliment you on the... I think it was your first show actually, and in the interview you had with Joel Cluzel. Yes, people yeah. really need to go and listen to that because oh, I, I thought that was so fascinating what you got out of him. Particularly, what was what struck me was his perspective looking back with years yeah. of time to have reflected on things. And some, he was obviously famous, and this came up, and this is kind of what I'm getting at with his battles with Keenan Sofuglu, as we were just talking about, and some of the things they said about each other at the time, and yet the level of respect and balance mm. that's crept into that with reflection and time yeah it's just fascinating to listen to and to get into the mind of a racer like Jules Clouseau who's a very eloquent guy anyway yeah Um, so people really need to go nice away and guy. listen to that
1: he's a really really lovely guy Jules Clouseau and he, I know he's suffering at the moment because he's he didn't really want to retire and I spoke to him during the philip Island weekend and it, it's tough it's really difficult for him at the moment Um, having to watch from home mm. he'll be at the European rounds I believe but he wasn't at the first two and yeah I, I'm I'm trying to do the podcast in a radio show sort of style by as you've just said and thank you again yeah. for your kind words I really appreciate that Rich so thank you very much but yeah I'm trying to do it in a way that you can play music in or, or play in as you've said an interview from Joel Kuzel back in 2015 yeah. and I said that you're being a bit hard on yourself aren't you because you all you did was say what you thought at that time what more can you do and he said yeah but I was a bit disappointed with the way I let my emotions roll my head probably to be honest in the same way Scott Redding might feel when he looks back at Indonesia 2023 probably 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 but you know they're very passionate people and they their lives their whole lives are based around this so no wonder there's going to be a few outbursts every now and again when the frustration creeps in but i have to say i like people who wear their hearts on their sleeves it can get you in trouble yeah i've got myself in trouble actually a few times whether it's probably more in my personal life than my professional life to be really honest with you because i know my granddad was the same my mum's dad my granddad don he'd often say what he thought and he'd say, I've probably got myself into a few scrapes there and a few, a few troubles, whether it's with uh, relationships or friendships. But I think you've just got to say what you think sometimes. You, yeah. You've got to be careful how you speak to people, obviously, and what you do. But you have to be yourself because otherwise you... Um you bottle all the feelings up inside and that's why I like people like Scott Redding and Jules Cousel, because it might not always lead them to the best results but at least they know they've said what they think. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot to be said for that.
0: And I think in terms of future interviews that you'll do and certainly ones that I'll do having heard that Jules Cluzel interview yeah. it kind of suggested to me that you know because when these riders are in the thick of their career and particularly when they're say in the real peak part of their career. Yeah. You know the levels of dedication, pressure, stress, just that plateau that you exist on day in. Yeah for for several if not many many years by the time you've retired and had a few years to think about it I bet most of them would look back and say I don't even recognize who that person is yeah or that, that could have been me yeah It'd be interesting to kind of get that context of other riders that have retired I mean I chatted with James Hayden recently and you know I had a really sort of entertaining discussion about him and his career and how different it was in his days so you do get really great insights yeah. from riders that have retired and been out of the game for a while as well as obviously talking to the stars of the here and now
1: David Coulthard who's won I think it was 13 Formula 1 Grand Prix and was obviously as famous for his driving as he is now as a TV commentator and pundit, yeah. but certainly in the UK at least, more better known as uh, as a Grand Prix winner. He said, I can't believe now looking back. I didn't say it to me by the way. I'd, I've only met David Court, I've met him once and it was a very, very short interview. But I've heard him saying in other interviews, I can't believe how selfish I was. And looking <laughs> back now, how it affected people around me, my girlfriends, my no. not so much his parents, probably more his personal relationships. And James Tosen said the same thing to me in a podcast in the past. I said, How do you have to be selfish? Are you a selfish guy? James, and he said, "I think a few of my ex-girlfriends would say I was." Hmm. But. All of them are... Another thing which really struck me, when I was working for Dorna, Rich, a few years ago, we were asking riders to give their best memories of races from the past. And I couldn't believe it. It was like I was talking to a bunch of thickos with respect. And they're not a bunch of thickos, but you would think they were because they couldn't remember anything. And it just showed how, while they are still riding, the only thing they're thinking about mm. is the next test, the next race, the next practice session. And it just shows how the mind, they do not think and act like, well, I don't know if I could call myself a normal person but normal people like we do (laughs) they just don't think like that it's um it is selfish it's self-focused you have to be like that because otherwise you you know i'm sure i'll laugh about it with people like jonathan ray in the future yeah Oh, crikey, Jonathan can be difficult sometimes. And if he's listening to this, this isn't me having a go at Jonathan. In fact, I'm praising him. because
0: it's probably a compliment in certain regards. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Because he has to be like that to do what he's done. I mean, look at everything he's achieved. And the last thing he probably wants is someone like me coming along with a microphone or or writing something in MCN that might perceive a problem they're having or a weakness of his or, or whatever it is. And obviously, certainly in the commentary, it is my job to make drama, not make things up, Mm. That'd be utterly, utterly wrong. And I've never done that. But you do have to make drama. And if there is a big argument going on between two riders, that's a great thing for the TV viewers. It's the same in all sports, boxing, whatever it is, football. But you have to be careful, I think, how you treat the riders because they're doing an extremely dangerous thing. I don't know how you feel about this, but I certainly think they're heroes of ours. They are are gladiatorial in what they do and they are risking their lives every single time. So I have nothing but respect for every single one of them. But yeah, they are very selfish, but they have to be. They're not selfish people, really. But while they're racing, they are. Cracky, they are. Yeah.
0: Well, Greg, that's the bell ringing again, which tells me it's seven (laughs) o'clock your time. School's out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the bell's gone. It's time to go home. Uh, So I guess we have to wrap it up, though. I don't want to, but I'm sure we'll get the chance to chat again, hopefully a little bit later in the end.
1: I tell you what, if I didn't have dinner with a good friend of mine tonight... I would like, yeah, we'd just be here for hours, wouldn't we? But well, well, I've got to, to edit this
0: bloody thing. That's the trouble. So. Yeah, no.
1: <laughs> and that's probably going to be a lot of stuff to edit out if you've had me on it. <laughs> well. So do you edit it now, Rich? Are you going to, do you edit your podcast immediately as soon as you've done them?
0: I'm afraid I'm guilty of over-editing uh, in wow. a way that I probably shouldn't do. So I know um, no, I like. It. I that's... do like to take out all the ums and the ers and the big long pauses. I shouldn't do it because it takes me hours and hours and hours to do it.
1: Well, that is dedication for you. And there if we were doing
0: go. more podcasts, I just wouldn't be able to fit it in amongst all the all my work and stuff as well.
1: If I now go, uh, oh, not really sure. Uh, is this going to make the final edit? Then we'll find out. If it if it doesn't, we'll never know. I said it anyway. Well,
0: I might leave that one in because that's what we're talking <laughs> about. But uh, anyway, Greg, look, everybody, I thoroughly recommend talking away with Greg Haynes. Go and find it on your podcast provider of choice. It's very entertaining for the bike racing fans, the bike related things. You even had a show talking about the Bautista weight limit thing as yeah. well as we've been talking about. So Greg, as I said, hopefully we can catch up a bit later in the year, sort of see where the manufacturers and riders are as we've been discussing and ruminating. Uh, so thank you very yeah. much indeed for your time. You've given us a huge amount of it as usual. And yeah, catch up with you soon
1: and rich last word for me just to say thank you very much for your kind words there about the podcast and everything else and yeah let's i think my final thought for now is here in march 2023 crikey let's hope everyone else gets their act together yeah. <laughs> it keeps a good show off for us otherwise it's going to be a long season but you know what i don't think it will i think we are going to see changes at aston i really do think we're not going to have a Easter treble we might have a double but i don't think we're going to have a treble and i actually yeah. hope for the good of the championship, that no, we don't. I hope he wins one race there. I'd love to see three different winners. Let's see.
0: It's just shown we've got the equivalent of a mini off-season to wait until they actually get to Aston now, because what is it, a six weeks between the yeah. races? It's a bit too long, really. But anyway, there we go. Yeah,
1: yeah, true. The only good thing is we've got MotoGP starting in there and BSB, yes. and we don't have such a long break in the summer, which is probably a good thing.
0: Uh, okay, yeah. Okay, well, look, once again, on my behalf and that of all the MotoPod listeners, Greg, thank you ever so much for your time, and we'll look forward to catching up with you again later in the year.
1: Thank you very much to everyone and to you in particular. Thanks, Rich.
0: Cheers, mate. Until next time.
1: The ice one.